But what it really is about for me is attentiveness and service. Mm -hmm. So it's recognizing that there's a need, which is most people are oblivious to, and then coming alongside and just being there and doing it. Welcome to this Sage Warrior Woman episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast, where we explore the soft skills that are becoming more and more apparent as positive leadership traits in today's world. In these candid discussions with women in many diverse roles and in various stages of life, we learn about intuition, perception, and the struggles still faced by them every day. Now is the time to listen and understand from strong women with great lessons to teach us all. In this first episode, please welcome Charlene Kingston, a friend of mine since grade school who currently lives in the Phoenix area and runs a creative agency called Maverick Crow. She's an innovative business coach who has helped thousands of creative people build a strong online presence through her coaching programs and personal consultations. She guides creative people to achieve practical, sustainable results in the left brain world of business and marketing technologies with her uncommon wisdom and Maverick strategies. We speak at least once a month, sharing stories about wins and challenges, and I can't even begin to count the number of times over the past few years where she's helped me think through some tough challenges, and by reframing my thoughts and questions, come out the other side in a winning position. Charlene can be reached at charlene at maverickcrow.com, and it's with great pleasure that I invite you along for this insightful conversation with my friend, Charlene Kingston. All right, Charlene, thank you very much for joining me tonight for this new pivot of Sage Warrior Gentleman, which, which, you know, you and I were thinking Sage Warrior Woman, and I think I came up with Sage Warrior Human and bought the URL. So anyway, thanks for joining me. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Good, good, good. So I think kind of the way we, we, we talked about this is, is, you know, when I very first floated this idea to you, I was like, I don't know if I can ask the same questions to women that I can ask to men. And you've seen all the questions before. So do you think there's anything in there that just doesn't make any sense to ask a woman? Or do you think it's, it's okay just, just to kind of go through it in the format that I've got it? You know, it's a really good question. And I feel like the questions that you're asking are good ones. And so I don't really feel like there's anything that jumps out at me like this, this isn't appropriate or this is off target. So I feel like they're all solid questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what I, what's maybe possible is there might be one or two to add that aren't in there. Okay. All right. So cool. Something to think about. Yeah, sure. Okay. And, and, and maybe those will actually reveal themselves as we go through, because you and I are just going to go ahead and go through this. I'm just, I'm just going to interview you like I would do a regular interview. But I think, too, because of, because of our relationship, and it's in the bio, but yeah, you and I go back <laughs> such a long way. You know, like, <laughs> oh, like, like five years old, the first time we met or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, as, as life happens and people go and do different things, you, you just keep on doing stuff. And then we reconnected again. And I've been out to Scottsdale, like what, a couple of times and, and, and have seen you out there. And, and we normally talk at least once every couple of months. So yeah, I, I, I thought this would be a really cool way for us to, for us yeah. to open this up and, and, and to get me moving in the direction to do this, to do this pivot. So, sure. all right. So let's do it this way then. So, 
I'm just I'm just going to kind of start on the questions then. So the first question is always like to, to tell everybody what your, what your occupation is, but then we'll go a little bit deeper than just your occupation too. So let's tell everybody that about you. Tell everybody who you are, what you do. Well, what I'm doing currently is not what I have been doing historically. Things, you know, like they do for most people have really evolved. And the biggest thing that I'm doing now, the thing that pays the bills um, is that I work with companies to help them do marketing. You know, my business card says I make your phone ring. But the truth is, is that that's just an excuse to talk to them because what I really do is help them to see a bigger vision for their business. What I find is that people get into tunnel vision. They've got, they had a vision that launched their business and they've done well. They've reached a point where they can hire somebody like me to help them. But with all of us, what you know can only take you so far. And to once you hit one of those barriers, you have to change the way you're doing things and in order to make the next leap. So what I help them do uh, is to see what the next thing is. And in the process of that, and there's usually some uncomfortable conversations when I ask a question and they run up against themselves and, and think, oh, I don't want to change that. That's how I do things. And that's the very thing that's holding them back. So I really feel like what I do is I help them have a bigger vision for their business and a bigger vision for what they want to do and then support them in the belief that it is completely possible and doable to achieve something far bigger than what they thought. It's usually not exactly in a straight line from where they are. There's usually a little bit of a tangent because they were anticipating going forward like a train on a track. Yeah. But life doesn't go like that and growth doesn't go like that. So I get to be there when they have, you know, teary breakthrough moments and when they have elated moments. And my favorite ones are when I convince a client to try something and then they call me and say, you're not going to believe what just happened. Of course I do. But they tell me some incredible story that they didn't believe was going to happen. Sometimes within moments of after they make the change that I've suggested. So I get to be there for those moments. I, I never say, I told you so. They say, you told me so. You know, yeah, I don't yeah, say it. Yeah. But I just am jumping up and down like a little kid. Just like, you know, it's like Christmas. It's like, yes, you got it and you did it. And you got the reward that you were looking for. And so I feel like I come in and I stand beside people and say, this is really how big you are. This is really what you're capable of. And I believe in you. And that's what I do for these businesses. Mm -hmm. So is it fair to say that, that with some of these people, you actually want more for them than they want for themselves? Or, or maybe that's not the right way to say it, but, but you see a new potential in where they can jump to the next level, even though they don't see it. So because you want it so much for them, they can then understand that and take that. And especially when it's around technology skills, I, you know, I can envision having a website with a landing page and because they don't understand the tech stuff, they never dream like that. They just know that they want customers coming in the door. Mm -hmm. And I show them platforms and tools that make all of that happen or deliver content to people in ways that they didn't know was possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So now let's dig a little bit deeper and, and let's talk about what, or how what you do 
affects others around you, like affects your family or, or affects the world. And we kind of sort of got into it. And the fact that you're really teaching a lot of these people a different sort of belief structure. And we know that there's nothing that we do that's ever in a vacuum, right? We do something that that kind of spider webs out, the next rung comes because they're now a different person and they can do stuff. So how do you, how do you feel you fit in like that in the world? No, I'm, I'm living 2,000 miles away from my family, and they're all busy. My sister and brother are busy with their kids, and so I don't have a lot of interaction with those people. I have more interaction with my family of choice, and so what happens is, is that when I, when I have great stories, I will – well – my friends hear all of the stories. They're like, they hear me with the stories of, you know, I'm pitching this to somebody, I'm pitching it to somebody. And, you know, she said no at the end, you know, and, and she said no at the end, and she said no at the end. So they will hear me go through several months sometimes, or even years of, I'm trying to get to see this. And so they understand the frustrations of what's happening. But when I call them and say, you're not going to believe what happened. You know, it, 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 we got it. You know, we're there. Um, they get excited, too. Mm. And one of my friends in particular um, says to me about how she thinks I'm the most brave person she knows, and which is a very nice compliment. And I'm glad to hear that. But it, she said that when she faces some difficult things in her life and in her business, she thinks, what would Charlene do? And I just thought that was that was one of the nicest compliments. I've ever gotten and yeah. that you know she says I want to be brave like you are mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. well I'm pretty sure that I've told you that a couple of times too where or I'll run up against a brick wall somewhere and I'll think back to conversations that you and I have had and how you've helped me reframe some things sometime and not look at it quite like that but but move around the corner just a little bit and look at it from a little different angle right one of the, the greatest things, and, and I'm not quite sure how I got here because I wasn't always like this and I certainly didn't receive behavior like this, but I've really gotten to a place where I'm not so judgmental about things, mm. especially with other people's lives and their businesses. You know, it, it's easier when people have a, a step away from you like that to, to really just be yeah. completely accepting and open and, and believe the best of them. But I, I think it's really a wonderful thing to have somebody around you, even if it's somebody you're paying to be there, who isn't judging you, you know, that you can say, oh, yeah, I did that thing I do. And yeah, I got bad results again. And I don't say I told you so, or I don't say um, there's, you, you know, there, here's what you could do because they already know. I've already said that to them. And so yeah. I think that the experience of having that happen for people a lot of times I've had people tell me that they've never had someone who listened to them without judging what they said. Hmm. And I, like I said, I don't know how, I don't know exactly how I got here. That wasn't one of my goals. Yeah. Uh, I certainly have not had very much of that in my own life of people treating me that way, but somehow the desire to really be of service and to be the best version of myself, which are two big guiding things in my life. Mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. softened me to the point where I, I can hear other people's stuff. And I do that with myself. I'm able to, you know, have a hard day and, and frame it in a way that, yeah, this is a tough day or, or 
this is a tough hour. The whole day isn't bad. Just this one hour was tough and yeah. tough rather than bad because I used to, like everybody, say, you know, what a crappy day this has been. And in truth, it was just a bad couple of hours or one right. bad interaction. Yeah, that's an important lesson. It really is. All right. So this next question, and, and, and because this is you and I talking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a little bit more about this than I, than I will when I start interviewing these other women who are on the list. And this is one where I'm kind of wondering if, if you're going to perceive this differently than a man would perceive it. And I don't know, but we're going to go there. So this one is, if you could... Share a big mistake with us and what you learned from that mistake. That's really a hard question for me to answer, not because I don't make mistakes, but I have spent the last seven years training myself to process mistakes in a different way. I went through a period of time um, starting about 10 years ago where, well, before that, I had like this Midas touch and I could no more than think of something and it would just happen. And then I went through a spell where I had like a shit touch and everything went just down the toilet and over and over and over. And so what happened for me was I heard T. Harv Eker. Um, he was, he'd sold ma the mastermind, ma millionaire mind. I don't remember the name of what his big, program is it travels around the country and they do these big weekends yeah. but he sold it and he was trying to start a new well I shouldn't say trying he was starting a new thing and so he's doing these webinars and he lives in Scottsdale you know and, and I knew he was around and doing these things so I was listening in he recommended starting this thing that he called a success journal so I'm sitting here at my desk and I can see up on this shelf one two three four five six seven eight nine ten 11 of them that are filled wow. and I've got one right now that's almost filled. As a matter of fact, I put a new notebook in my Amazon shopping cart for number 12. Nice. Um, so what I do in this is every, his rules were really simple every day, write down three successes that you had. So the date and three successes, that's all it is. So I knew enough from what I'd learned about neuroscience to know that I needed to handwrite it and not, computer type it because it's a different part of the brain. And I also know from research they've done with gratitude that the more you kind of elaborate on it, the more it gets infused, the energy of it gets infused into you and it changes your neurochemistry again. So I was doing my best to write more and more, but in the beginning, I had a hard time because in my mind, a success was I delivered a website to a client. Well, that happens after a couple months of work. There's not very many of those in a year or it's some great big thing or some big breakthrough with a client. So in the beginning, it was really hard. The first week was incredibly difficult. And then, but you know, I've been doing it for seven years. So obviously I got past this, right? So what ended up happening was that I started to define success in a different way. It used to be the big, huge deliveries, the, the big moments. Then I started realizing that there were a lot of smaller things. And then I even started realizing when I'm sitting at my desk and I'm thinking, okay, I need to do this next and I'm going to do it like this. And then I get this new idea like, oh, you know, I could do it like this and that would be better. And I realized that's a success. Mm. And so, it, you know, my success journal then got filled with all these other successes. 
And now I'm at the place where after all of these years where I pretty much review the day and any, you know, crappy thing that happened, I learned from it, you know, and it's this idea of failing forward. Um, when things were so tough, I, I've got this whole worksheet that I do before I do any business project. And one of the things I added to it was, if this does not deliver the results I want, which means the financial results that I want, because it's a business and it's supposed to bring in money. Yeah. And if it doesn't bring in the results that I want, what will I have learned from doing this? What's my benefit from having done this? And that's the idea of failing forward. So even if I don't get hit my goal, here's what I've gained from this. And so I do this kind of, I, I don't do pros and cons, but I do this kind of analysis of, yeah, this is worthwhile. And if I could learn this, it's worth this time and money and investment that I've made to do this thing. So I sit down every day and I process whatever it was that happened. If I had an interaction with somebody where I felt like, uh, and there, there was one the other day where I was talking with somebody and they were telling me, uh, what they would do and you know that I was wrong and and this is what you know this is what I should be doing instead it was that kind of a conversation and I answered back a little bit I listened to what they were saying and I answered back a little and when I ended the conversation I thought oh surely you should have just kept your mouth shut you know this is one of those situations where you just say oh great thanks that's great advice uh, I'll consider that and just let it go because this person didn't drop it you know it just kept going and going so so I wrote in my journal that night, you know, that this, I had this conversation and I didn't handle it the way I wanted to. But what I learned from it was when I started seeing that pattern, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to handle it. So I kind of process all of those mistakes in the course of a day, but I don't think of them as mistakes anymore. I think of them as here's something that I learned. Here's something that I tried, but it didn't turn out the way I wanted and so that's much more of what my mindset is these days. Cool. Okay. So you've you've given me a good segue for this next one, and it's possible that you've answered most of this next one too. But if you have anything to add, you can you can throw that in there as well. And this next one is about making the tough decisions, right? So we get these curveballs thrown at us all the time. There's always something going on. It's life. It's it's the life that we live. And sometimes we have to make really tough decisions. So what's your thought process like when you've got a really tough decision to make? It's, it's, there's two parts. There is a thought process that goes on. And I try to collect some data, you know, like um, I'm thinking about making a big move. And so I'm looking at what the crime rates are in different areas is one of the factors that I'm using. Because I find numbers don't lie. Um, numbers tell you something that's important. Um, I use a thing called the decision matrix sometimes to help me uh, figure things out. And I, I'll explain it to you if you'd like, but, uh, but it's a, it's a numeric tool. I mean, I do it in a spreadsheet so that I hmm. get some, get out of my emotions and really focus on the facts. But in the end, what it comes down to is really intuition. And hmm. so I will feed my mind some facts that it wants but I really sit with my heart and see how do I feel? You know, how do I, when I walk into the space, what does the energy feel like? When I imagine myself a year from now living in this other place and I'm considering, how do I feel about that? Mm -hmm. And 
So it forces me to, because there's a chance I won't move or there's a chance I'll move someplace else. And so what I forces me to focus on is the emotion of what I really want from the place that I'm going. So the, so the emotion comes back in, in the sense of, I want to feel cozy. I want to feel safe. I want it to be beautiful. One of the things I just added to my move is that I want it to be around woods or have a couple of large trees in my yard. And the thing that I want is a swing. So, you know, I've got this new magic thing. It's like, yes, you know, it has, okay, it's okay if it's not wooded, but if there has to be a tree big enough to put a swing in. Yeah. So, and it's that bit of whimsy and fun. So there's that emotion piece that comes in, but it really is coming down to my intuition. One of the things I trained myself to do a few years ago is that I don't rethink decisions. I do my best in the moment, I make a decision, and I do not look back. Go for it. And that's, that's not to say that I don't ever in my life stand and look back and think, oh, you know, was that a, look where this path took me. Is that where I thought I was going to go? Was that valuable? Is there something I want to change about it now? But when I make a decision, it's it's done. Yeah. yeah. I tortured myself for a while, going back and forth on things. I don't do that anymore. Hmm. So here's you and I talking again, there's, that was, that was one of the things I was looking for there is that, is that you as a woman went for emotion and intuition. And I bet you that I could ask 20 different guys that question. And none of those 20 guys would go in the direction of emotion. Positively. I don't think they would intuition. Maybe they might, especially if it's a little bit older guy who's been around, he's made a lot of mistakes. He's done a lot of things. An older guy might, I doubt that a younger guy would. So yeah, that, that's, that's where I wanted to see where, where the branching would start happening and where, and where a pivot and the way questions are, are answered would come up. And I, I think that was, I think that was a perfect example. That was well, perfect. I, I want to go back and just make a comment to you about the previous question. And yeah. that is, um, I think that there's, I think the world is shifting around us right now. And the Hopis talk about the split path and that we're already split path. The Christians talk about the rapture, you know, that mm -hmm. there's this split that's going to happen. I mean, it's prevalent everywhere. And some of the people I'm listening to are saying we're already in that. And what we really need to be doing is focusing on which way are we going to go? Are we going to complain about every little thing that happens? Or are yeah. we going to stay positive and believe in the future and so maybe there's a way to reword the question the, the one before this um share your biggest mistake with us that one yeah no the one before that um, the one, well i first first was first was occupation and then was was the mistakes and and you reframe that a couple of guys have done that as well how do you make the tough decisions that life throws at us okay yeah so yeah it is it is the the um, mistakes. And so maybe the word, I mean, maybe the word mistakes, because it's a trigger word, maybe that's the perfect word to be there. Yeah. It seems like there's an opportunity to, by the way you phrase things, to set things up at a higher energy level than what that is. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I don't know, if you find start finding maybe that everybody is rephrasing it, reframing it, um, there might be a way. Uh, a few guys, a few guys did. A, a few guys said, I, "I never really look at anything as a mistake." Other guys said, "Oh man, let me tell you about this mistake that I made." And you know, the 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 point of all this is for 
is for younger people to be able to listen to these and learn from what some of us older folks have done in the past and learn how to reframe like, like you've done. You've answered some of these questions in a way where you're showing how you take something that, that, that you might normally look at as negative and reframe it into a positive. And that was beautiful. That's why I was giving you the thumbs up on, on the video a while ago, like, yes, yes, yes. This is exactly the direction to go. And it was awesome. So, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll think through that. So, so you think that's, you think rephrase that, just for interviewing the ladies that I'm going to be interviewing or, or for the men as well? For the men as well. And, and okay. I guess what I'm inviting you to do is to raise the whole energy of yeah. what you're doing yeah. by putting everything in a slightly different context. Yeah. Okay. Encouraging All right. more. Yeah. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll have, I'll have to think through that one a little bit. Okay. So now we'll get back into the, to the questions and we'll, we'll see how this goes. And, you know, you've, you've kind of almost touched on some of this too. And this is, this is switching up to win. So it's, it's, this is, this is where I do start turning things around because I said, okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about mistakes. We want to be able to learn from this, but now let's switch to wins. Um, Give an example of something you can, you can think of recently if you've got something that was a really cool win for you and, how it may have changed your perspective on the way you look at things. That's really a great question. So um, I've got a client that I've been working with and over the years, she's come to trust me on things. And I actually hinted at her uh, a few minutes ago. One of the answers I gave you was already touching on this, but I was encouraging her to include a customer education piece in her company newsletter. And she's worked in this business. She's the third generation to run it. It's a family business. She's been there since she was a little kid in school. And she just thinks, oh, this information, everybody knows this, this isn't important. But I convinced her to try it. And she's had enough good success as she did. And so we wrote up a little article about two kinds of tack hammers and why they have different tips. Um, so the newsletter went out at 10, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. And at 10.20, she got a phone call from a customer who's a third generation customer who said to her, Paula, you never told me that you have nylon tip tack hammers. <laughs> now he's been coming to the store since he was a kid and he's 60 and he stands in front of the counter to pay when all the tools are in this glass counter. He has stood there in front of this, who knows how many times. And so she called me, you know, 10 minutes later to say, you were right. This happened. And what that did for me, that was one of those big moments. And, and I love that I have a client, by the way, who does that because it's, mm -hmm. it's really the sign. It's a collaboration between us. Mm -hmm. And it, it's the kind of thing I love. But it made me realize that the fretting I had been doing about how am I going to get her to, you know, you know, it's like I felt like I was responsible for what she decided to do. And when I, something about that and the way it all played out, let me see that I was taking responsibility for the outcome of decisions when I was really only responsible for presenting an idea. And then if she wanted to do it, executing the idea, but I wasn't responsible for her business. And I didn't even realize that I had a piece of that in me, but it was this fear that had beat, been beaten into me since I was a kid. You've got to deliver, you've got to deliver. It's got to be right. It's got to be good. And I felt like that was part of my job. So it was, you know, a great thing that happened. But in reflecting on it, I realized, wow, I 
I didn't know this about myself before. And now that I know it, I could go back through, you know, and forgive the parents who taught me to be like that, who, you know, I don't have any issues with anyway, but it's like, okay, that's, that's forgiven. And it's because I have learned so much. I have been over delivering. And then I realized it has to do with boundaries, that I was stepping into somebody else's area of responsibility. And then once I realized it was really about boundaries and not about me needing to make something right, that was a whole different level of insight into myself. And to realize that when I don't have good boundaries for myself, not only do I get hurt when people overstep mine, but I overstep others and don't even realize it. And so even that client doesn't know, but that success changed the way I see myself and the way I handle all of my clients now. Very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. That's a good look. Thanks for sharing that with us. So there are some traits and this is, this is straight from, from the men's. Um, because I, you know, I, I talk about the, the new modern man, sage, warrior, gentleman, this, this, this different kind of, of modern man who embodies these three aspects. <clears throat> and now, as we said at the very beginning, this could pivot to sage, warrior, human. I could rebrand these conversations with you and the other ladies as sage, warrior, woman. I've got the URLs for all of them, but, but I need to, I'm going to need to rephrase this question a little bit the 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 body of the question is is what i'm getting to but rephrasing it and let's say that we want to talk about the traits that i believe that a strong modern human embodies and you can say if any of these are really strong in your mind and in your heart all the time or if there's something different but the ones that i've got written down are leadership honor, integrity, confidence, and compassion. I, I like all of those. Um, they feel a little masculine to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they probably are. Yep. And, you know, it's, um, I, I'm not a Jungian analyst by any stretch of the imagination, but it's <laughs> something that I've studied a, a great deal. I consider myself a serious amateur. <laughs> and, you know, so we, there, there's the, there's a softer side to that. I love that you've got compassion in there. I think that mm -hmm. that's part of it. But maybe there's a way to bring in some other things like um, generosity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm not going to type it in now because if I type all the, all, all the keystrokes are going to end up <laughs> in this podcast as well. I don't want that. Uh, but yeah, I'm generosity. More re receptive ones. Yeah. Because those are, those are very much about taking action. And that is, that's a key part for anyone, whether they're a man or woman mm -hmm. to step up because it's one thing to just embody it. But if you don't physically demonstrate it in your behavior, you you're a hermit in a cave someplace, you know, sure. and that's the difference. I think today between the spiritual path of the past mm -hmm. and the one we have today, I mean, it's not so common if you want to have a spiritual life in, you know, when we were kids and, 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 or, you know, the middle of the last century, people go join a cloistered order if that's what they wanted to do. And they were free of, of everyday responsibilities 
you know, kind of, they didn't have to work and, you know, deal with relationships and all those things. And they went and they just devoted themselves to their spiritual path, whether, no matter what religion it was. And the way we are today in the world, we're being asked to be all of these things at once. And one of the things I heard a speaker saying one time is that you can't, you know, have a, go to a weekend retreat, some sort of a spiritual retreat. And then on Monday, come back and call your boss and say, I can't come in today because I'm having a metaphysical crisis. You know, it, it, there's no sick day for that. <laughs> We're expected to just keep going through all of this and incorporate all of it and integrate it into our lives. So the way we act is how we tell people who we are, not sure. with our words, but yeah. with our actions. Right. And so all of those action words, I think, are good. Mm. But um, so if you can include some more in there about the, the receptivity side of it. Okay. So you mentioned the word generosity. Is that, is that one you want to talk about for a minute? Generosity is my highest value. I feel like everything in this world is set up to be transactional. You know, you hire somebody to do a job and you pay them. You know, everything is a transaction. It's quid pro quo. And generosity is the only place where we step outside of that, where I just do something for you because I can, not because you earned it or I expect something back. Mm -hmm. And so to me, generosity is the closest thing I can do to, you know, the the religious term for it is grace, you know, is to offer grace to someone and Mm -hmm. to say, you know, you didn't exactly, when I judged you, this is the lesson I learned from my religious past, is that when I judged you, you came up short, but because I'm gonna offer you grace, it's like you get a free pass. And, and that may not be what everybody else got from their religion. But I just feel like this generosity says, this isn't transactional. This is from my soul and, and from wherever my soul comes from, through the universe pouring through me, through my soul, through my heart, through my hands, my mouth, my eyes. This is what I'm giving to you. It's coming to you, not just from me, but from somewhere beyond me. Mm-hmm. So... Um, generosity is the highest value I hold in my life. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. I like it. So how does, yeah, that question is not going to (laughs) work. I'm just, I'm looking at my questions here and yeah, these are, these are definitely men things, but well, no, you know what? Let's try this one. Let's, let's try this one on because to me, I think that, I think that chivalry is not dead. And all the men that I've interviewed so far have given really good interpretations of what they think chivalry is. And some of it's, you know, just, just, just goes back to, you know, opening a door for a lady or opening a door for anyone. It doesn't matter who. So they go back and, and they kind of look at it chivalry in, in that way. So as a woman, what does chivalry mean to you? If I was interacting with someone and I thought that they were chivalrous, is that the right word? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but they demonstrated chivalry. Yeah. Uh, I would think that it, it might be those small things. You know, it might be somebody holding a door. It might be somebody handing me something. But what it really is about for me is attentiveness and service. Mm-hmm. So it's recognizing that there's a need, which is, most people are oblivious to. And then coming alongside and just being there and doing it. Mm. Um, 
you know, so I um, had a situation, you know, I, I had COVID and I was kind of trapped in my house for a few weeks. And one of my neighbors recognized that I wasn't putting my trash out. And, you know, we'd been so shut down that, you know, they didn't see me come and go, but, you know, they weren't seeing anybody come and go. And so he came over and knocked on my door and he said, are you okay? Do you need some help? And I thought that was incredibly chivalrous, even though, you know, he asked me if I needed help, um, but he observed that I probably needed help. Yeah. So I, I thought that was incredibly kind. And um, so, so that's kind of what I think of with that. That's cool. Did yeah. I tell you what you what you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think just, just talking through it like that with you, I, I think I... I think there's definitely something to keep in because I, I, I want to know that. I want to know how women feel about some of the things that, that from men have kind of died, you know, for the most part. But if we talk about them, the lessons that we can teach through talking about them and how, you know, I, I think I told you before, I, the, reason, the reason why, why I keep a structure to this and I ask the same questions, especially with all the men, is because I want somebody to be able to listen to John's interview and then listen to Mark's interview and then listen to Pete's interview and compare them. You know, well, when he, when he asked him this, this, this was his answer. Okay, so I want to go and, and see how this other guy answered it. And I know Troy, so I want to see how Troy answered this, you know, because still there's, there, there's still an inner circle with a lot of this going on. A lot of these guys that I've interviewed are guys that know each other. Um, some of them don't, but they're all, they're all men that I know, which, and I'm, I'm starting off kind of sort of the way with, with the women too, interviewing really good, strong women that I know who have great opinions about things and are very creative and, and just, you know, moving the circle out from there. So maybe another question to ask would be to ask me, you know, how do I incorporate, you know, ask me maybe what chivalry means to me and then, uh, you know, how I interact with men with it. But even then, how do I demonstrate those kind of qualities in the world? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Okay. So what do you do? Well, uh, um, one of the things that I do may seem invisible to people, but in my meditation, I imagine my energy going out. So I visualize this energy of love coming, flowing into my heart from wherever it comes from mm -hmm. and flowing out and filling my house and then filling my neighborhood. So the first thing that I do is I put out a blessing to everybody in my neighborhood and, and then it, you know, goes on and gets bigger from that. And I feel like that is an, an invisible act of chivalry. Mm. There was, when I was at the vet the other day, there was uh, an older woman Listen to me, an older woman than me, is what I'm actually saying. She looked older than me, who was having a difficult time walking. And she had this very energetic puppy. And I watched her very carefully. I, I stood and I watched her move through the whole thing. So one of the things that I have learned, I started from being at Wright State and having so many people with various physical disabilities that I initially would jump in to help people. And I got really barked at a few times. It's like, let me do that. You know, I don't want your help. And, and as I've gotten older, I really understand that, that sometimes my challenge of the day is, you know, can I do that thing by myself without help from anybody? And so I've learned to not jump in 
immediately to hold the door for somebody or to, uh, you know, offer to help. But I watched that woman at every step. And if she had paused or started to stumble or not moved in exactly the way she had been, I would have been right there to help her. But yeah. I was watching her in a prayerful way and sending this blessing out to her. Um, and I feel like that is an act of chivalry. Mm-hmm. It's not as big. And I was even saying to her as I was watching her, I see you. I see you. You are not alone in this. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you that she heard me. I, I didn't have any kind of feedback like, oh, she heard me and we had this internal telepathic conversation or anything. But mm-hmm. I know that the intentions that we set make a difference. And I know that she was surrounded by this love, not just for me, but what comes through me to, from the universe to her, mm-hmm. whatever the universe is, mm-hmm. whatever God is. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Just a couple more. And um, then I guess we'll, we'll start to wrap it up. We're getting towards, I don't know, we're probably at 45 minutes. We spoke for a while beforehand, but no, we're getting, we're getting close to an hour, which is, which is great. Uh, so how about health? What does health mean to you in your life? Oh, um, health is one of those things that I ignored for a very long time because I lived in my head and I had this incredible imaginary life and I was creating things and my physical apparatus didn't mean very much to me. And so as a result, I became unhealthy. And I reached a point one day where I felt like, and I struggled with it. I mean, I tried to make get make things better and it didn't get better. You know, I'd make a little progress and then I'd go right back to where I was. And then one day I woke up and thought, I'm done with this. I want to be present in my body the same way that I am present in my mind or in my heart or anything else. It's like this, I don't wanna take this body for granted anymore. And so when I think of health, I think of being strong and being able to move and do what I wanna do. So with the pandemic, um, so I lost 85 pounds as a result of that. And then with the pandemic and with the shutdown I put on 30 pounds of that and it has devastated me. I'm still not back in the gym, although the gyms are open the last couple of weeks. I don't feel comfortable yet going back. I'm from the time I've spent being immobile um, from COVID. It's taking me a while to build my strength back. I feel like a mass of spaghetti noodles where I used to feel strong and even though I was, was not, even after I just lost a few pounds, I mean, really, once I'd lost about 15 pounds, I started to feel strong because I was exercising and I felt vigorous and I knew I could get up and do anything I wanted to do. If my brain said, let's go, go over here and climb underneath that and, and get this thing out and pull it, I could just go jump up and do it. Now I'm not so sure I can do it, you know, or I have to get some help or some leverage. Like I couldn't take my trash out this weekend again. Mm-hmm. And so, so health to me is, is a lesson I've learned later in life. And it is the single most important thing in my physical world. And so every day at the end of my meditation, when I really put out what it is that I want, the thing that I always say is that I want to feel strong in my body. 
I want to feel strong in my body. And so I'm starting to notice little things like I've been doing some things with some weights and I've been doing some step exercises. And so I'm feeling some of that strength slowly coming back, but I, I miss it. I miss feeling like I can do what I need to do. And I'm not willing to surrender my physical ability to do things yet. I, I recognize that as we get older, most of us go through a loss of those things. And I'm not expecting myself to perform like I could have when I was 30, but I'm not ready to be this blob of spaghetti in a bowl. I, I want to be back to being strong and, and you know, walking five miles a day. Mm-hmm. That's where I want to get back to. I, was re- I read an article today about a guy who was working at an Amazon warehouse and he walks 15 miles a day. And I just thought, oh man, and he's 70 years old. And wow. I thought, I couldn't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying I want to go work at Amazon, but it's like, yeah, I should be able to walk 15 miles. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so a bunch it, of steps. And I really aspire to <laughs> cool. getting back to it. No, good, good story. I like, I like the way you, you wove some things in there. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to this again. And again, because this is you and I talking, but this is, this is the very first podcast in the pivot to starting to interview women. And you talked about the feelings a lot in there too. And I, you know, in, in, in all the men that I've interviewed so far, there's not a lot still yet, but I've gotten a pretty good start. I can't recall any man that talked about feeling the way you have. And that's what I really want to get out of this. I want to start getting to this point where we're talking about those soft skills, those softer skills and the intuition, you know, you talked about intuition and there's women's intuition and there's, there's stuff that you see and feel because that part of your brain is actually bigger than our brain. And yeah, our, our brains are just are wired differently, differently like that. You, the, the emotion center in your brains or wherever it sits in there is like 15% larger than ours. So, so you generally tend to see and perceive the world like that. And those are the kind of things I really wanted to try to get out here. So I, I, I love the way this conversation is going. I think this is absolutely perfect. I love it. So second to the last question. If you were to mentor a younger person, in what area do you think you would be strongest in helping them develop? Mindset. Um, I actually um, hired a very young, I almost said kid. Um, I I really, (laughs) and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but I hired somebody who was a college senior to help me implement a program with a client. And I felt like it was my job to not just show her how everything works and how I put together the program for the client and give her the ability to build skills with that because you know, she could go out to any place online and learn skills for free or for almost free. And there are people out there who have plans out there of how to do a, a program, a marketing program for a company. So that There's nothing secret about that. I felt like what I really had to offer her was what it's really like day to day to do the job. Mm -hmm. So there were times when we would, you know, we would pitch something to the client and either the client didn't like it 
or the client liked it and then we did it and we didn't get the results that we wanted. And so I felt like those were the times when it was most important to be able to say to her, this is what happens sometimes. So let's, this one that she didn't like, let's just sell this. And if we can think of a reason later to come back around to it, let's, let's revisit this in six months. Hmm. And let's see if we've got a different argument we can make for this, or if it becomes more relevant, we've planted a seed in her mind. And so she may, you know, the next time we bring it up, she may just say, no, absolutely no. Or it may have started to grow and she may say, well, tell me a little bit more about that. So there were times when the client, you know, made decisions that she had every right to make that were not what the, this intern wanted to hear. She mm-hmm. wanted, because she wanted permission to run with something. And so to be able to talk her through that and say, this is what it's really like. And there were times when, the client and I were having some difficulties and I shared that with her in a small way, just to let her know that everything isn't always smooth. And I have a great relationship with this client, but that doesn't mean every day, every week, every hour, every phone call goes smoothly. And so I, you know, always have to remind myself, you know, it's not my business, you know, it's her business. I'm just here to give advice and whatever advice she wants to take is what happens. So, that was what I felt like was the, the greatest thing that I left her with. I miss her greatly because that's the kind of conversations that we had. Yeah. Yeah. Those She's always the best her job. So. All right. Good deal. So final question, and then we'll close it out for tonight. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Yes. I, I love that you're, doing this. I love that you're giving people an opportunity to answer these questions, uh, even if you make a few changes to it. But the, the, the thing that you're getting at, uh, the questions that you're asking are not the kinds of questions people normally ask themselves. And so you're giving people a chance to have a new insight into their own mind, the, the things that they take for granted. It's like, oh, I didn't think about that. So here's you know, a chance for me to pull together something and come away with a different understanding of themselves. And I feel like we're living in a time where the world is changing. Um, The world is wonky. I feel like every day on the news, and it's like somebody's pulling back the curtain and, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And we're finding out all this crap that's been going on. One of the things I just was learning about was uh, one of my favorite bloggers had this thing where he was just talking about the no poo movement, which is no shampoo movement. And (laughs) he was talking about how in the seventies, there was this marketing campaign to sell these products. So basically shampoo, you wash all the oil out of your hair and then you put conditioner in and that puts the oil back in. And you know, we, I didn't know a world before that was, you know, I mean, my mom would wash my hair when I was a kid, but in the seventies, when this started is when I was paying attention and they played on vanity and I, you know, some of the ads, like, you know, the, the girl would be looking at the guy and, you know, they're both cute and they're looking at each other. And she's like, Oh, he scratched his head. He might have dandruff. Like, Oh, he's no longer a life candidate partner possibility. Right. Right. And he was talking about it's a $3 billion a year industry. And I'm thinking, okay, so this is a marketing success story. But how much of what we do in our lives that we think is necessary has come from somebody just wanted to sell us something. Mm -hmm. It's really not necessary. Along with all of the 
you know, the political stuff that, you know, we could go into that are, that are shocking and some of the things happening in the world, the crimes that are happening and the things that are being revealed. Uh, and our society is being torn apart by some of these issues. And I think giving people a chance to have a new perspective on themselves and depending on how able, how much they're able to express that in the moment, even the people then who are listening are going to hear those things. So if somebody, you know, you ask them a question and they're like, oh, you know, I didn't think about that before. When somebody hears that, then they think, oh, you don't already know everything. You know, somebody could ask you a question, you hit a situation where you reassess and you learn something new, because that's a part of what we're doing. And I feel like a, a project like this that you're doing is contributing to this, the solution to a lot of the chaos we're living in. I feel like we're living in kind of a deconstruction zone. And one of the things I ask in my meditation every day is, uh, you know, the, the deconstruction zone is exhausting. Please today show me something that lets me have some hope, something that's starting to be constructed. It doesn't have to be very big. And the picture I have in my mind is a crocus, a purple crocus coming up through the snow. And this idea that there's that hope and that spring and that there is something better coming. I don't have to know all about it. I, you know, just give me something to hope. And, and it happens. And I get it as excited about those things when I see them on the news or a friend talks about it. It's like, oh, you know, it just even the fact that this no poo guy did this video, it's like, this is so cool that this information is getting out, mm -hmm. that people are understanding. You don't have to do what everybody told you to do from the time you were a kid. You can make your own choices about things. And so I think you're really contributing to that movement. And I think that just for that reason, it, and even for even if there was no other reason, what you're doing is really valuable. And I think this is really a great thing. And I'm really proud and honored to be part of this. Well, thank you. Yeah, you and I, you and I spent a, a couple of times just talking through this, and you helped me, you know, get the rest of my thoughts straight for how to do this this pivot to going over to women. So. Okay, well, um, this has been an awesome conversation. This has really been great. This is everything I, I hoped it would be. Uh, I knew that you and I talking through it like this would be great, but you know what? It was even better than I thought it was going to be. That's and great. we've had some dynamite conversations over the years, so this is this is awesome. Thank you very, very much for spending some time with me tonight. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. All right, cool. Bye-bye. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast. And remember that you can join us and get a free guide over at sagewarriorgentleman.com. We'd love to have you join our conversation and please help us spread the word if you feel this could help someone you know and care about.